A few weeks ago, Talia spoke to us uh, about the Cologne Cathedral. Who was here when she spoke about the Cologne Cathedral? So quite a few of you. Okay. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Let me move this out the way. One of my favorite places in the world. When I was a teenager, after I finished high school, before I went to university, I lived for a year in a town just the river, just down the river from Cologne. And so I used to, on a, on a weekend or a day when I would skip school because it was boring, I would go into Cologne on the train and I would wander around the city and look at the sights. And there was a really good kebab shop that would just made the right kind of kebab that I liked just around the corner from the cathedral. So I love Cologne Cathedral. And if you remember the story that Talia told us, it's a fabulous cathedral with these fabulous towers, um, huge towers. But this building didn't always look like this. In fact, when it was first started in 1248, the builders got so far, they built so much, and then they ran out of money, and they ran out of energy, and they ran out of, well, the will, and the building sat in this sort of half-finished state for about 250 years. In fact, that's, this is a picture from 1855, So from before that, here's a drawing of what it looked like before they started work on it at all. So from about the year 1560, it looked like this. They had a bit at the end where they could have church. They had a bit at the front where they were going to build the towers. Then sort of a building in between with just a wooden roof to connect the two together. And it stayed like this for about 250 years to the point where the tower, on top of the tower is a wooden crane. That crane had been there for 200 years until the wood rotted and fell down. So what did they do? They built a replacement crane that looked exactly the same and put it in exactly the same spot because the city didn't look right without that crane on top of that tower. And this is how the cathedral sat for hundreds of years until Cologne became the property of the Prussians. and The Prussians liked to finish things. So the king of Prussia came along and said, look, you guys need to finish this cathedral. It looks ridiculous. They went and they hunt through the archives. They found the original plans. and They built the cathedral so that it looks like this. And for four years, after they finished the towers, for four years, Cologne Cathedral was the tallest building in the world until the Eiffel Tower was finished. If they had finished it back in 1560, they would have been the tallest building in the world for 400 years. Dead, they only got four years. Of course, we know that the church is not the building in which we meet. This building here is not a church. It's a building where a church meets. The people are the church. But this is a parable. This is a metaphor to explain. What, is, what do we know about God's plan for the original church? What was it meant to do? What was it meant to look like? What was the church meant to be? We read each week, hear the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Let's read them again this morning. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' message is about the kingdom of God. It's the topic he speaks about most in the Gospels. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in each of those Gospels, he calls his disciples to go out and share the same message, to go out and tell people that the kingdom of God is at hand and that they should repent and believe. This was Jesus' message. It was the message of the disciples. 
and it's our message as well. And as the children read to us this morning, or as you read together from Matthew 28, Jesus puts this into his final words in Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission, we call it. At the very end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus outlines his mission for the disciples. And that mission is an ongoing mission. He tells them, first of all, to go. Therefore, go. Don't just sit on your seat and wait for them to come for you, but go. Go out into the world and make disciples. He's giving an instruction. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make disciples. He tells us to baptize them, to set them apart from the world, to demonstrate through washing of water that they are clean inside and out, and to teach them, to teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And so here are the steps, Matthew, in the Great Commission is to go, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them. And there's one more instruction here which we miss because the modern English translations have gotten rid of the word behold. Modern translations say, and surely I am with you always. But the old English version said, and behold. That's an instruction. That's a verb. He's telling us to do something. He's telling us to pay attention. Pay attention to the presence of Jesus, to visualize his presence, to act on his presence, to behold it. Behold, he says, I am with you always, the very end of the age. So there's another set of instructions on what the church is meant to do. And then over these last few weeks, we've been reading from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, as Jesus' last words before he ascends back into heaven, and Jesus says, let's read it all together, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've talked about what it means to be a witness, to share what we know, to share what we have seen, to share our own story of who Jesus is and what he has done that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and makes us holy people and empowers us to share his good news. And that good news is to be shared in our Jerusalem, that bit of us is closest to us, and in Judea and Samaria, those people we like and those people we don't care so much for, and to the ends of the earth. This is a message for all people, for all people, rich and poor, young and old, male and female, black, white, and everything in between. This is a message for all people to the ends of the earth. And then we read as well, with the children read to us what the early church did. So after the day of Pentecost, the church started to grow, as we read in Acts chapter 2. We read about what the disciples did, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. How the disciples grew to be like Jesus. They listened to the words the apostles taught. As the apostles taught them Jesus' words. They enacted Jesus' sacrifice through the new covenant, through communion, through breaking bread together. They prayed. They had a personal relationship with God. And it goes on to say that they had wonders and miracles done through the apostles. They saw wonders and miracles like those that Jesus did.
did. The miracles kept happening. They loved one another. They cared for one another in fellowship and in practical assistance to those in need to the point where they sold their property and possessions and gave to each other, to care for each other. And it finishes by saying, and every day they continued to meet. They broke breads in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favorable people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The message of Jesus was proclaimed, and people were saved every day and joined the church. And the church grew, and the church grows throughout the rest of the New Testament and continues to grow in our day and age. It's not so much in Australia and other Western countries, but in Asia, in Africa, in South America, the church continues to grow, and millions upon millions of people become Christians each and every year. The rest of the New Testament is a whole bunch of letters written to local churches, mainly dealing with the problems that they have, and what should be done about them, or to encourage the church leaders, to Timothy and Titus and so on. And over these last few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Acts to get to the point of Corinth. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and we've been working our way to Corinth because that's where I want to get to. Because I want to spend a good 18 months in Corinth. Paul did it, and so can we. A good 18 months in Corinth. We're going to your 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you can have me again in five years' time if you still keep me on. 1 Corinthians, I want to spend some good time here because it's a letter to a church like us. A letter to a church that talks about what needs to be done. We spoke last week about where Corinth is. So on this map, it's a bit hard to see, but it's down there. It's on this part of the, the Greek. This is Greece today. This is Turkey, this is Italy, of course, and Africa, the Middle East. Uh, and Corinth is right there. And if we zoom in, I told you last week that Corinth is on a very narrow spit of land, four miles wide, which is about six and a half kilometers. The sea is on this side, the sea is on that side, six and a half kilometers across. And in those days, to get from anywhere in Achaia to anywhere else in Europe, you had to walk through Corinth. And if you wanted to sail your ship from Philippi to Rome or from Troas or Ephesus or Crete or even from Egypt, the simplest and safest way was to sail to Corinth, unload your goods, hoof it across the bit of land, put it on another boat on the other side and keep on going. Because their sailing technology was not fabulous, which if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul gets shipwrecked three times. He mentions three times in his letters that he got, they weren't, they didn't have, all the stuff that you and I have today when we go on the boat. When Lyndon gets his boat going, he's promised to take every single person in this church on his boat. Isn't that right, Brother Lyndon? He's agreeing to that now. Good. And you can all go first and we'll see if it's safe and I'll go last. All right. But this, this little stretch of land, four miles wide, they would, everyone going from east to west would come to Corinth, unload their stuff, walk through the city, load it back on a boat and keep on going. And so almost all of the ancient world of the Roman Empire was passing through Corinth. Shipments of grain from Egypt, all the things that are coming out of Persia, all the silks coming across from China are making their way through Corinth and then on into Western Europe and Italy, Spain and beyond. And so Paul plants a church 
here at the crossroads of the world that everyone who comes through that place would have the chance to hear the good news. And Paul spends his longest time in that city. And the Corinthian letters deal with a church, with a lot of church practice and behavior. And the Corinthian letters speak to us today about a church should behave, what it should do, and how it should act. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about vision, about mission, about practice. What should the church look like? What should the church do? How do we do that stuff? And so I want to spend a good 18 months in Corinth. It's my second favorite book of the Bible. You know what my first favorite book of the Bible is? No, it's Ecclesiastes. No, of course it's Mark. But I love Corinthians because it's written by a man who loves his church. It's written by a pastor who loves his people and wants what's best for them. And so it speaks to me and has for many years. And I want to share this message with our church over these coming days. This morning I just want to give a very briefest of brief overviews of the things we will read in Corinthians. What are the things that this book is about? Well, this book is about holiness. It's about holiness. It's about how Christian people should behave as they become more and more like Jesus. In the second verse, in the second verse of 1 Corinthians, it says, Paul writes this. He writes, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about how sanctification and holiness are the same word from different roots for our English language. Sanctification is holification and holiness is sanctiness. Paul says to these people, you are already holy. You are sanctified in Christ. You are holy. And now he says, now be holy. Now behave like it. Through Jesus Christ, we are made holy in God's eyes. And then Paul says, now act like it. Now act like it. And it's now and a not yet thing, a here now and a something to work towards. It's the work of a moment and the work of a lifetime is holiness. And much of the rest of the book deals with practical holiness, how to act, how to behave, what Christ-likeness looks like in the day-to-day dealings of the follower of Christ. The bulk of the book, the middle chapters, deal with Christian behavior, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What to do when you're being sued. What to do when you want to sue someone else. What to do when you meet a pretty girl. What to do when a pretty girl meets you. All of these things are found here in Corinthians. They talk to us about how we should be following Jesus in every single day of our life. But more than that, Paul reminds his people of the importance of the gospel work, of sharing the good news with the people around them. From the opening chapters of Corinthians, Paul reminds them of the essential gospel message. And this is going to be our verse for the next 18 months. So if you want to get ahead, learn it now. Let's read together. 
For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is Paul's summary of the gospel. I don't want to know anything except Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. The opening chapters in this book are an appeal to the church to present the good news to their community in unity not arguing about leaders and doctrines and the things on the side. Paul explains to them we are co-workers with God. We are fellow workers in God's service. We have a mission to do, something to work alongside God with, cooperating with God and doing His, doing our part to share the gospel message. And then later in the book we have the passages about spiritual gifts and how those work together, and how every believer has a part to play in the body of Christ. And when people are missing or not playing their part, the body is weaker and misses out. We all have a part to play in the church. It's not just the job of the man in the front in the green jumper. It's the job of every part of the church to share the good news. What else does Paul write about in this book? Well, Love. He writes about love because, of course, 1 Corinthians has the famous chapter 13 that you'll often hear read at weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you want to get a jump start on where we'll be probably in June next year, start memorizing chapter 13 now because we're going to be saying it over and over again until we can recite it in our sleep. You know, my wife has a shirt. Uh, She has a purple T-shirt, which has has all sorts of interesting shirts like me. I've got interesting shirts. I'm not wearing one today. This interesting shirt has the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on the front. It's a lovely shirt. The only problem with it is that the person who's designed it has written it in such a way that the words that you can see from a few meters away are envy and jealous and wrong. You have to get up really close to her to say it does not keep a record of wrong. It's just written the word wrong in nice big letters. So don't emphasize the wrong. Keep that no record of wrong. Don't be like Talia's shirt. Read the whole chapter. And the thing is, it's not about boys and girls holding hands and kissing under the mistletoe or falling in love and getting married. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, yes, you can read it at a wedding, but it's not about weddings. It's about the church and how we should behave and treat each other and how we should behave and treat our enemies. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter you should read out loud when the Russian tanks are rolling over the border about how Christians are called to respond to those who hate them. And about all of these things, because love is from the beginning of this book and the end of the verse and all the way through because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is all about love. So we come to those great words that he writes. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. 
And then in chapter 14, we have some great instruction on how the church should operate in worship. We get some great gospel theology in chapter 15. And in chapter 16, we get to meet all the people who made it possible for Paul, all his helpers and friends, what the church is meant to be and how the church is meant to work. Are there any questions this morning about anything I've spoken about before I conclude? Anything I've spoken about today or over the previous few weeks as we've come with Paul Corinth, any questions this morning? Don't see any. I do remind you that my email address is there, my phone number's there. If you'd like to speak to me about these things, I'd love to share with you about these things. I want to spend some time in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, because there's a lot in this book that I want to talk about. But I also want to spend time in 1 Corinthians because there's a lot in this book that I don't want to talk about. Because if it was left up to me, there are whole bits of the Bible that I would skip over and never talk about at all because it's just too awkward. But by by picking a book and saying we're going to preach through and we're going to read every verse, some of the verses we might skip over in the kids' time because... There's some things in there which kids probably don't need to think about when they're 10 or younger, but things that we need to talk about, some challenging issues, some difficult questions. There are some topics in this book that I would never choose to preach about unless I made myself, which is why I like to preach my way through a book of the Bible. It forces me to talk about things that I would never otherwise discuss. And It's there for a reason and it's there for our good. I want to draw your attention back to that metaphor of the church design, of the Cologne Cathedral, of how it sat for hundreds and hundreds of years unfinished, not looking like it was originally designed to, but when they finally decided to finish it, they went back to the original plans and said, what did the guys who designed this building in the 1200s want it to look like? Can we do it today? When we look at our church, We say, what is our church about? What are we trying to achieve? What are our goals? What is our mission? What is our vision? What do we want to see in five or ten years' time? Let's go back to the plans that God has. God has plans for his church. And over these recent weeks, I've been months now, since January, I've been explaining or teaching or trying to get the idea across of what I think the Bible says is the purpose of a church. I think the purpose of a church is that we want people to meet Jesus. We want them to encounter the life-changing, the transformational presence of Jesus because when people encounter Jesus, they get to make a decision about Jesus. Follow him or to say, no, thank you. I don't want them to meet the church. I don't want them to meet religious people. I want people to meet Jesus. Because when people really meet Jesus, their life will never be the same. And because we want people to meet Jesus, I think we should grow to become like Jesus. We want to be people who reflect him in our actions, in our behavior, the way we walk, the way we talk. We want to grow to be like Jesus. We want to be holy. We want to be Christ-like. We want to share Jesus' message. 
this message about the kingdom of God and how anybody, anybody, anybody can encounter God if they're willing to repent and believe. We want to love the way Jesus loves. We want to love one another, our brothers and sisters in the church. We want to love our non-saved family and friends. We want to love those people out there who hate us. We want to love the way Jesus loves because we want people to meet Jesus. Over these coming weeks, we'll be talking about these words and potentially making them an official part of our church our plan, our strategy, our mission statement. There was an email that came out about this this week. If you've not checked your email, if you've not got that email, come and speak to me. I want to share that with you as we talk about what it is that we want, we believe God wants us to do as a church. We want to grow, we want to share, we want to love because we want people to meet Jesus. And so we sing this morning, in my life, Lord, I want to grow. I want to share. I want to love. And then we'll sing in our church, in your church, Lord, be glorified. I pray that this morning, as we sing this song, if the Lord is speaking to you, if He's touching you in some way, and you need to respond, come forward, and someone will pray with you. But otherwise, as we sing this song, I pray that your prayer. I, I hope that your prayer would be that you want to go back to the sources, you want to look at what the Bible says about what a church is meant to do and how it's meant to behave. And I pray that you'll commit yourself to growing, to sharing, and to loving. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I want to thank you for everything. I want to thank you for your book, the Bible, that tells us what you want us to hear. Father, I thank you that there's everything in there that we need to know you, to be saved, to be useful, to be helpful in this world. Father God, I pray that over these coming weeks and months as we read the story of a pastor who loves his church, wants what's best for them. Father God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as well, that we would hear the Apostle Paul as our pastor speaking to us here in Logan. Father God, you have put us at the crossroads of the world. There are people from every language and background living within five kilometers of this spot. Father God, I pray that in our Corinth, in our crossroads of the world, we would share your good news and that we would see men and women and boys and girls come to know Jesus Christ as their Saviour and Lord. And we pray all this in his name and for his glory. Amen.